Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning indeed. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to worship with you this morning here at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Alex Solorio. I serve here on staff at this amazing and beautiful church, and it is a delight to worship with you this Lord's Day. Uh, if you would, uh, this, this morning our text is going to be in Psalm 130. And if you would, it's going to be in your bulletin, or if you want to use your Bible, you can absolutely use the Bible that's there in your pew. We're going to go ahead and turn to the Word and then turn to the Lord of the Word in prayer shortly after. Please follow along as I read this morning. <clears throat> this is the Word of the Lord, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in the hope, in, in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen Wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The grass withers and flowers fade. But the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to your word, that we might clearly understand it, and that we might gratefully receive it, and that we might faithfully apply it to our lives. Father, as my words are true to your words, may they be taken to heart. But if my words should stray from your words, may they be quickly forgotten. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Church, the last time I preached... I preached in consideration of the present circumstances that surrounded us in this season of our lives. From social issues to political pressures to relational climate, we are in a trying time indeed. Yet, we delight in God's word because we are reminded that the, that the God we serve is sovereign and the truth of his word sets us free. And it is in this freedom that we live and we can joyfully walk in this life to love and to serve others. But what is our motivation? Is our motivation to be viewed as virtuous to other people? Is it to satisfy weak arguments of you need to listen to what I said because I said so and just do what I, just do what I think was right? I sure hope not. And, the word, and that is the word of this day. That is the essence of the foundation of our motivation. Hope. A true and a living hope. And this is what we press in today as we all grow together. Two weeks ago, we were encouraged by the words of Jesus saying, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Amen. That's an encouraging word. And it gets us excited. It reminds us that we are free and free indeed. We were encouraged by the word not just to celebrate 
in the freedom that we find in Christ, but that we would also abide in his word and to grow in him. The text closes out by reminding us that, that the son, uh, that reminds us um, that a son or a daughter remains in the house forever because we are now have been given sonship and daughterhood through Christ. And we now have a hope of a home to come. Last week, we were reminded of the redemption of Joseph and how even though he was sold into slavery to Egypt by his very own brothers, there was a hope that remained in the Lord. Lord, why am I going through this? I would imagine Joseph would have thrown his hands up in the air and wondered why he was going through what he went through. Yet the word says that God continued to show him favor in the midst of his adversity. We got to see a beautiful picture of reconciliation and redemption that testifies the authority of God and the hope that we have in him. Yes, times are tough. Yes, the struggle is real. Yes, it feels as if the enemy is sometimes at the gates in different ways. But church is not adversity, is not adversity a reminder of the glory to come? It reminds us that when we hurt, we know there will be healing because that's the God that we serve. Are we not called to be living sacrifices? Paul encourages us this in Romans chapter 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Not to this world, not to other people's opinions, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Beloved, let me encourage you, as I also encourage myself, that we must be reminded this is not our final place. This is not our final place. We are in the middle of kingdom come as the Holy Spirit has come and descended upon us and with us and dwells with us. And I am making all things new as the old is still very much present. Charles Spurgeon once said this, that hope is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. Beloved, somewhere along our journey, we have been taught to enjoy, to learn, and to seek comfort and prosperity. And the world has shown and taught us that this is where we should find our hope. We do not see that in Scripture. And before you get upset, this does not mean that we should not enjoy the fruits of our labor or to find joy in the community and celebrating life with others. That's not what I'm saying. What it does mean is that we must, be, we must continue to remind ourselves that our hope is not rooted in your bank account. It's not rooted in your family name. It's not rooted in the nation that you live in. And it's not even rooted in the gifts, talents, and abilities that you may have. Our hope is solely rooted in Christ and Christ alone. If we do have any comfort, church, it is living in Christ. And if we have any prosperity, 
It is that dying is gain. That dying is gain. So then what do we do in the meantime in this current heartbreak? Because there's plenty for our hearts to be broken about. What do we do in the midst of, 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 of this world, in the midst of pain because of the sting of life that is ever around us? And what do we do when the world and the crowd of voices exclaim that hope is lost? We remind ourselves that God's, of God's word. And that's what it brings us today as we read this word. Because it addresses three stages of a plea. A cry for mercy a plea and a reminder of the confidence that we find in God and the hope that we have in him. When we approach this text, we see this cry for mercy and we resonate with, we resonate with it as it is one of our first knee-jerk reactions as we exclaim, oh my God, right? All of us have been there, right? Something happens like, oh my gosh, right? watch out, you know? And it's, sometimes it's not even things that are that extremely serious. You'd be like, oh my gosh, dude, can you believe that? Right, you know, just we—it's we, we, uh, a knee-jerk reaction that we tend to have, and uh, and when we are in a position where our plan, our plans, and our foundational social norms are attacked, we cry, "Oh my God!" Where there's a loss of life because we value life, we cry out, "Oh my God!" When there are accidents or incidents of brokenness, we cry out, "Oh my God!" Because we truly strive for to be holistic. When there are distortions of chaos, we cry out, oh my God, because we strive for peace in the midst of the chaos. These difficult moments bring us to a place where we cry out, and the kaleidoscope of life ever fluctuates. And it is in this awareness where we begin, uh, where we find the beginning of our hope, and it reveals where we truly place our hope. Mind you, this in, in the scriptures, it reads there in oh, chapter 130, it says, out of the depths, I cry out, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. There is a personal awareness in seeking hope. We can truly find where we truly place our personal hope besides the Lord knows us best. Uh, besides the Lord, we know ourselves best. The Lord knows us best, but besides him, we know ourselves and we know where we place our hope. We know the str- of the struggles and the trials we face on our own. And though we can try to convince ourselves that we are solely responsible to bring ourselves out, Christ meets us in the midst of our pain. He meets us there. We are all broken and flawed. We are sinners and we live among a people that have rebelled. Yet God, in his mercy, did not leave us to ourselves, but he saves and he redeems. The psalmist is making this text personal, and this is where we can all relate. The cries that are given out are not to deaf idols, but to a living God who is faithful. The struggle and the thorn that we wrestle with throughout the remainder of our lives is is not what defines us. You're not defined by your struggle, church. You're not defined by the thorn that is on your side, beloved. You're not. You're defined by God's grace and the grace that he has given and shown you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ 
may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content in my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is an overwhelming sense of hope in the midst of the trial. And so we cry out, knowing that though there may be pain in the night, church, joy, joy comes in the morning. And this awareness, uh, as we are aware of our own personal brokenness, the next scope of awareness of brokenness is the ones that are near and that we are able to partake in, right? So when we first, again, as we're crying out for mercy, we're our own personal things. And there are the things that are actually around us within our 15-foot well, within our 50-foot grasp that we can actually put our hands to. We cry out for mercy, and it seems that sometimes that the enemy is advancing, and the battle is sometimes so near to home. It is this awareness that should compel us to cry out and to pray. And we do pray, church. I am I'm exhausted, and I'm tired of hearing people sometimes say that there's no reason to pray because of X, because of Y, and because of Z. I'm not going to pray, right? When I hear this from a non-believer, I don't blink twice only because that they don't believe in the hope that is in Christ. I don't know where they put their hope in. And because of this, I remain ready to love and comfort them in the midst of their pain. And church, you should too. It makes sense when people freak out because if they believe that this is all there is, of course the world is going to freak out. And they're going to they're going to lose hope because this is all they have. But for us church, but for us, we remain ready. But for the believer, prayer is our battle cry. It is the one that we know that God hears us. And it's because we are near to act on our convictions. From our prayer, we're able to be specific and intentional in the ways we respond. If your heart is so broken, my prayer is that you would pray and then ask the Lord, how can you, how can you take my hands and take my feet to actually serve somebody, to actually go out and to respond, right? Because I'm pretty sure people have loved us enough and given us hope in the midst of our darkest moments to be there for us. And it's a ray of shining light. And God is calling you to do the same for others. We cry out for mercy knowing that we can do what we are able. But God is able to do exceedingly more where we fall short. And it is in this exceedingly more that we trust God even in the awareness of what is out of our reach. Again, the awareness of what we wrestle with personally as we cry out for mercy. The awareness of what is within our grasp as we cry out for mercy to bring hope. And then the awareness of what is outside of the bounds of our reach. Though we see tragedy and loss from afar, after we have considered what we can do, there is the truth that, that though there is brokenness to which we cry out mercy, and it is out of our grasp, from issues from other countries and heartbreaking predicament, we can present our petitions to God and trust that he is moving in the midst there too. And we're reminded that his ways are so much greater than our ways, church. His ways are so much greater. 
The beautiful thing about literature, and I don't know if we have any readers in the room, the beautiful thing about literature is that so many writers pull from real life emotions. And I'm reminded of one as I think about the hope that is to come for us here. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia series, in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a prophecy that is given in the midst of the darkest days. And it reads, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. And when he bares his teeth, winter will meet its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. We will have spring again. We resonate as we cry out for help. We resonate as we know that our Savior, we know our Savior, we know his name. And so we have a confidence in that hope. And so let us continue in Psalm 130. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I feel that we all can recognize in this present age that there is something wrong. It is in this tension that we all know that it must be made right. And to truly taste and see God's grace and mercy, we must first remember the forgiveness that redeemed us. We must not put ourselves in a better light than anyone else especially as we see what's happening outside. We must not take this time when we see in the midst of brokenness, at least I know that this is a broken moment and, you know, there's some bad people out there and I'm not like them at least. No, we must remind ourselves of the forgiveness that came to us, that redeemed us, and not take moments to put ourselves in a better light. Rather, we grieve and we mourn and we do so with compassion we are, when we are upset with righteous anger and we desire to seek justice, it's not our opportunity to place ourselves above another, but to seek gospel restoration. Remember, we were totally depraved and we could not save ourselves. And our confidence is in the redeeming power that is in Christ in our lives. And it is this very power that is still at work. It is God it is in God where we find forgiveness for the weight of sin. And God, that he's, where is, it is in God where justification resides. Only God is sovereign. We claim this to be true, right? That only God is sovereign. Then why is it sometimes, church, that we act the opposite it is as if the voices and the powers and principalities of the world are trying to drown out the hope that we cling to. Yet, for us, church, our voices should ever be reminded to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Our Savior has come and he will come again. Amen? I said, he will come again. Amen? It is our cry, church. It is our shout. It is our joyful noise that we make to the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We acknowledge that what has happened and what is happening, and we cling to God's holy word, for it is by God's holy word that we are encouraged. 
We're encouraged by scriptures like the one in Romans 8 where it says that in the tribulation of Paul where he writes to the Romans, if God is for us, then who could be against us, right? In Joshua chapter 1, when the fear of knowing that Moses is dead and Joshua and the people are in a place that they have never been, you're encouraged by God's word. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In the Psalm of David, knowing that war was at the uh, that war of the time was ever present, though the armies besiege me. In Psalm 20, 27, though the armies besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even when I am I will ever be confident. Or again, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in prison for his faith, I came to you in weakness for great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or pervasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but only in God's power. Church, we join in the crowd of witnesses that have gone before us to embrace the suffering and the heartache knowing that this is not our final resting place and the brokenness in this world that does not have the final say. God is sovereign. He has the final say. He alone can forgive. He alone can judge. And he holds you still. God alone reigns. He reigns over all things. And his kingship and his authority and his power is what we wait in. And we wait and we yearn, and our hope is in Christ. And when we cry out for mercy, oh God, come quickly. We cry out knowing that there is still a mission and we are still disciples. Church, we are called to serve. And I want to joyfully invite you to serve and to seek the Lord as we wait for the hope and find, as we wait for hope and as we find areas that move our spirit to joyfully serve others. Beloved, let us, let us use our time to be a blessing to others as God has blessed us, whether through local or global issue, uh, missions, through the, uh, whether it's youth or children's ministry, young adult ministry. We share the gospel that gives hope to the needy, the lost, and the broken. This brings us to our final point. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. My soul waits in his word, I hope. The reason we are able to wait in the hope is because of his word. We are reminded in this text that God is a promise keeper. And we can hope in his, in his word because his promises never fail. And it is because of that, my soul waits. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I want to take this time really quickly to explain watchmen and the important role that they had. You see, in a town and in a place, uh, the, the, the watchman role was a crucial portion of the city. A watchman was one that would stay up all night long, and their responsibility was to guard the city and to alarm them when things were coming at the gates, whether by a, a traveler by night or when somebody would attack. This job is of high importance and because of the security of the city and the safety of the residents were in the balance, a watchman waited at night. 
kept attentive. The struggle that the watchmen would face was that their watch would truly begin when the sun was down and night fell all around them. The darkness would hide the enemies and shroud the insecurities of what is out there, which means that though they did not know what was out there and they didn't know who would come or what would come or, that, or whenever the danger would present itself, diligently watchmen would remain, reminding themselves of what is at stake, knowing that when the sun rose, the watch was over and they would be able to rest, knowing that they served well and they served faithfully. And when the sun rose, their watch was over. And the psalmist says, my soul waits like watchmen wait for the morning. And there's underlining implication uh, in this serving. We're not only a part of a communion, but we all have a mission and a calling that is set before us. And it is our responsibility, church, to diligently serve in the ways that God has called us to serve. Though, Though darkness surrounds us, and though uncertainty might be at every corner, and though our eyes might be squinted as we wait out there, as we are watchmen ourselves, and our hearts are beating with anxiety of the unknown that is out there, faithfully we are ready in and out of season to be about the mission that is set before us. We are always ready, and that is our hope for us as we are watchmen. That when sun breaks forth in the horizon, our watch has ended and we can truly rest. Because our hope shines a light. Amen. Our hope that is in Jesus shines a light in the darkness. And the peace and comfort of hope we have in the darkness moments has come. I'm not saying that we will not have times where we will be fearful. Or that heartache or there will be a lamentation in this age. And I'm not saying that we won't have dark days or dark nights ahead. What I am saying is that the same God that heard the cries of the Israelites in Egypt to save them, and the same God that heard his people when they were in the midst of the wilderness and provided for them will provide for you and stands with you as you make your watch. You are still on mission regardless of the times that are ahead. And until that faithful day, Whether God calls you home or our Savior returns, we will have our rest. And here here at this church, as we talk about having our final rest and being on our watch, we have had some faithful people serve their watch, loved others and cared for the church and desired to see others to know Jesus. And yes, they have gone to be with our King. I'm reminded of Brother Jay, George J. Trudell. You'll see his picture on the screen. Y'all remember Jay? Man, look at the joy on that smile. I was, it was, Jay was always such a joy. And he would, when he would see me in the halls because I was big and I played football, he would always give me the biggest handshake ever. He grabbed my hand. I felt like he was going to break my hand. He was always present, always joyful, and always moving. He would come up to the church just to say hey, and I remembered him in his burnt orange Texas polo and his jacket, hunched over strong because he knew he wanted to be at church. And he was always moving because he was on mission. For the sun had not yet come up for him to take his rest. Then, one Tuesday morning in February, the sun came up. 
and his watch was over. He ran his race and served faithfully as a disciple of Jesus. And the light of the morning shined. And the peace that surpasses all understanding welcomed him home. I hope to live a life of joy, strength, and faithfulness like Jay. I hope we are all inspired by others that have been in this church because we're reminded that our hope is in Christ. And then again we end. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord is with, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Beloved, in this season, I pray that you would learn to truly find your hope in the Lord. Because as the days will be dark and as there will be struggle that remains in this life, we cling to him and him alone. Our Savior is the Alpha and the Omega. Our Savior, in which we have hope, is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is the beginning and he is the end. And he is sovereign over all things. And my prayer is that you would cling your hope to him and him alone. When times get tough and chaos emerges, we're reminded that there is a mission still to invite others to know of this God, to invite others to know of the Savior, and to invite others to know of this hope. And as the musicians get ready, I want to share one final image. This is a painting, and you'll see here on the screen, of a friend of mine. Um, my, a friend of mine showed me this painting this week as I was writing the sermon and I was bouncing ideas and thoughts with the message. You see, we don't know the name of the artist, but the title of the piece is called At Evening Time It Shall Be Light. And it is reference to Zechariah 14.7 where it reads, And there shall be a unique day which God only knows, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. The reference is to give hope to a scattered and hurting Jerusalem at the time. When it feels like there is no hope, the prophet Zechariah at that time gave a prophecy of hope. When I look at this picture, I see a seasoned old man that has lived many years. A grandfather clock behind him faded, flowers on the table that are wiltering, and a sun that is setting. Time has passed. Yet, as he is at the table reading what it appears to be Holy Scripture, he looks off to the sunset, one of many that he has seen, knowing that two things are likely to happen. Either he rests this day only to be blessed with another one to love and serve and worship his God, or though it is evening, it shall be light, for his Savior has come for him. Beloved, God desires you to walk out of the sanctuary different than when you first walked in to remember the mission, the message, and the Messiah uh, that will be with you always, to remember the legacy of others that have gone before us and the watch that we still have. Do not seek comfort, seek conviction in the Holy Spirit to serve and act. Do not seek pleasures of this world, but seek the peace that only God can give as we wait for him. Never forget, church, this is not our home. Our final resting place is in a living hope that is eternally with the Father and our Savior will come again. And until that day, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits 
In this world and his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word as it encourages us and it empowers us, but ultimately as it reveals who you are. Lord, you are faithful and you are good. You are sovereign over all things. And Lord, we thank you for this Lord's day as we gather as one church body to seek your face and to know you more. Lord, allow us to be the men and women you've called us to be, to use our hands and to use our feet, to be instruments of mercy and instruments of grace. Allow us to honor you with our lives as we seek to joyfully walk alongside others as we celebrate regardless of the heartbreaks that are in this world, celebrate the fact that we know a Savior and he will come again. In Jesus Christ we pray. And God's children said, Amen.